<clears throat> this afternoon, brothers and sisters, we may open the scriptures together in a couple of places in the New Testament. <clears throat> we first turn to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, where we read the verses 5 through 8. And then we turn ahead in God's word to James chapter 4, where we read the first 10 verses. So first, Matthew 6, beginning at verse 8. <coughs> where the Lord Jesus says to his followers the following, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. <clears throat> That's from Matthew 6. We turn ahead to James chapter 4. And we'll read there together the first ten verses of that chapter, James 4. And after the reading of God's word, we'll sing in response Psalm 6, stanzas 4, 5, and 6. James 4, beginning at verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. <clears throat> Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In the order of your 
exposition of the doctrines of salvation. You've come to Lord's Day 45 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a faithful summary of the church on the doctrine of prayer. As the Catechism begins its final section in its treatment of Scripture's teachings, you find that on page 559 of your Book of Praise. Lord's Day 45, where the church of all times and places confesses, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. And here is the question and answer which is going to receive the bulk of our attention this afternoon. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we don't deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. What is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. That's our confession in Lord's Day 45, and after we've received the ministry of the gospel, we'll sing in response hymn 55. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the message of our Lord's Day this afternoon rings very loud and clear. You and I must pray. No less than three times, Lord's Day 45 says that God commands us to pray. And we also confess that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Prayer, we say, is the summit of our walk of thankfulness with the Lord. It's through prayer, by means of prayer, that we receive what we need to grow in our walk with God. So, prayer is essential. And when something is essential, we want to make sure we do it the right way. This afternoon, then, we pay special attention to how and what we must pray. 
which is instruction that can be quite objectionable. The command to pray is one thing. I get that. I can handle that. But now I'm going to be told how and what I am to pray. Isn't that nobody's business but my own between me and the Lord? Isn't prayer the spontaneous jubilations and groanings of the soul? Shall we now regulate prayer? It's a viewpoint that sounds rather convincing, does it not? And to be sure, there is something to it. Prayer may never be based exclusively upon command, but the heart has to be engaged as well. But obedience and willingness need to be there. Both of them need to be there. But we may never play the two off against one another. And that's to say that both the mind and the heart are to be engaged. The Apostle Paul, for example, had to impress this very fact upon the Corinthians. Their prayers had turned into pure emotion. They prayed in tongues, and that was considered the way to let it all hang out before the Lord. Uh, To that, Paul responds, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 through 17. So we are to learn to pray God's way, with our spirit, also with our mind. That's a prayer, pleasing in God's sight. And so I proclaim to you this word of the Lord. God assures us that he will hear the prayer that pleases him. Such a prayer is to be heartfelt, humble, and confident. So first, heartfelt What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him? Word order is important here in question 117. (coughs) What ought to be our first concern when it comes to prayer is whether it pleases God. Our number one priority in this life whether we are older or younger, is to find out what pleases the Lord and do it. Ephesians 5 verse 10. When we are busy with that, also in our prayers, we are at the same time then hallowing the name of the Lord, exalting his kingdom, following his will. It's only in the second place in question 117 that comes what is usually our greatest concern and is heard by him. So when we reflect upon our prayer life, the question ought to arise, are the praises, the prayers, the the petitions, the thanksgivings I bring pleasing to the Lord? It's a question worth asking, particularly when we might think that the answer to our prayer hasn't come. There are prayers offered which are not answered because they are not pleasing to God. 
And that's a tough pill to swallow in today's age where we're all equals, everyone gets a say, and everyone needs to be answered because that's only right. But while the Sovereign Lord does hear everything, including all our thoughts and words, there are prayers to which he pays no heed. Scripture provides us with numerous examples of prayer which God does not hear. Prayers that are short-circuited because of a certain... (coughs) (coughs) a certain attitude or action. Sin, for example, can turn away God's ear. Psalm 66, verse 18 and 19, If I regard iniquity in my heart... The Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Another example, Jeremiah 7, verse 16 and following, the Lord says to Jeremiah, Do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them. And do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Sin that is cherished held on to, becomes an obstacle before God's heavenly throne. It's just that serious. Wrong motives can also sabotage a prayer. James 4, verse 3, we read, You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly. By that, he means you pray without trust. And so there are prayers uttered in a certain context for a certain reason which displease God. It's clear then that the way we pray is not something of little importance. God stipulates not only that we must pray, but also how. And that comes as no surprise for those who know their God to be a God of righteousness, holiness, order. We stand on holy ground when we speak with him. So we need to know well what God's conditions are for a prayer that pleases him and is heard by him. And the first condition is we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. That already is a very loaded sentence. And upon first hearing it, we wonder if the authors could have saved some ink by leaving out the part about the one true God. It's pretty obvious to us, isn't it, whom we're supposed to call upon? Surely the catechism, the authors don't take us for pagans who pray to idols. We're not like the Athenians who pray to the unknown God. Certainly not Roman Catholics who call upon Mary or other saints, we call upon the one true God. Well, the catechism here is not accusing us of praying to the garden variety gods of this world. We have to read what follows. Who has revealed himself in his word. That's really the rub, brothers and sisters. Do we call upon the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. 
Well, much of what passes today for teaching on prayer is really not all that scriptural. It presents prayer as my will, not your will, O Lord. <clears throat> we are not left totally untouched by this mentality. We don't always get what we ask for. We might pray to the one true God for a loved one to be saved or healed or delivered and nothing happens. Our reaction, there's a chance God's not listening to me. He's got no time for me. He's ticked at me. He's upset with me. So we pray more earnestly with more zeal to win God's attention and approval. We use different words so God might finally hear us. Or we spruce up our prayers with some extra good works to try and urge favors from God. Why? Why do we do this sometimes? Well, we can take God for a man who makes a list checks it twice, trying to find out if we've been naughty or nice. <clears throat> we can visualize God as some celestial Santa Claus. We need to convince him to change his mind, to soften up and grant our request. Well, perhaps at some occasions we've prayed to God with that kind of frame of mind. Brothers and sisters, God hears our prayer if we pray to him as he's revealed himself in his word. He's a God who cannot be manipulated by our choosing the right words or the right tone. To be sure, he wants us to pray earnestly, steadfastly, and with structure. Pray with our spirit and our mind, we heard but he doesn't really give us any room to think of prayer, even subconsciously, as some kind of magic trick. We read from a few verses in Matthew 6. The Lord Jesus gives attention there to calling upon the one true God with an understanding of him that's not based on what he's revealed himself in his word. He says, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus is saying that we must not regard prayer indeed as some kind of magic trick. That's how the heathens pray. And it might not always twig with us, but that's very heavy, very serious terminology he's using. might it apply to us at times sometimes I use the Lord's prayer as little more than something I'm reciting from memory what the Lord God hears in those instances is something like vain repetition we can pray with words lacking in worship for the one true God instead let scripture be our guide our study of scripture tells us God can be known. That's why we're supposed to be in the word always. God feeds, he stimulates our prayers by us growing in our knowledge of him. And what he tells us in the word is that he is the living God. Psalm 145 or 17 says, 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. That's the Lord of the Bible. That's how we may know him and love him. He's the God who is faithful. The God who says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Psalm 50 verse 15. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Psalm 103 stands at verse 13 and 14. This is how our God himself has revealed himself in his word. The heavenly creator is at the same time my God and my father through Jesus Christ, my savior who gave up his life for me. So God doesn't deal with us in a brash or irrational manner. He works within the covenant he's established. He's faithful to that covenant as he illustrated for us at the cross. And so he also leads us along the way of that covenant after Christ. God is the one who never changes in his promises and his demands, which we know from his word. And so with a proper knowledge of God from his word, we can run to him. We can speak with him, give ourselves to him our joys and sorrows, our questions and our hurts. That's what he wants. All we've said, all the scriptures we've quoted, it's all meant to lead us to see what pleases God in prayer. And that is that our hearts are in it. Hearts that have been shaped and ignited by the knowledge of the one true God. Hearts with pure motives, hearts cleansed from sin, hearts engaged with our God. It's only by knowing who our God is that our hearts will be stirred to call upon him. The catechism does not lose sight of the fact that when it comes to prayer, the mind and the heart go together. We must from the heart Call upon the one true God. And so the Lord also says in Matthew 6, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. In the culture of the day, a hypocrite was an actor one who was doing something that was not real. So the Lord Jesus here applies the word to people who are going through the motions of prayer, making a great show of piety, but whose hearts weren't in it. It was a fake form of godliness. It was lip service about these prayers. About these prayers, the Lord had said already in Isaiah 29, verse 13, This people draw near with their mouth and honor... Excuse me. (coughs) 
Isaiah 29, verse 13, This people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. We're being taught, beloved, that the prayer that pleases the Lord is the prayer that shows we know him and we love him with both our hand, head and our heart. Prayer, it's the chief part of heartfelt gratitude to our faithful covenant father who knows what you need before you ask. But ask him you must in heartfelt prayer. Also, humble prayer. That takes us to our second point. We must, we confess, thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. We pray not only knowing about our God, how holy and righteous he is, how pure and loving he is, we must also pray with the right thoughts about ourselves. We must know our need and misery so that we don't brazenly enter into the presence of God and insist on our rights. <coughs> and we're constantly faced with society's emphasis on our rights. Rights for the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender. Expectant women also have their right to abort. Members of a union go on strike from time to time for the sake of better wages, better hours, better environment. These are all our rights, after all. It's a way of life and a way of speaking for our culture. Is that how we must approach or may approach God, insisting that he does owe us what we deserve? Well, of course, not at all. For what we really deserve is not what we want. And so we don't go to God slamming the table with our fist, at least figuratively speaking, with a wish list as long as our arm. God is neither pleased with nor does he hear the prayer full of demands. Lord, give this. Lord, give that. No, we may, we must thoroughly know our need. And you might say, I know my need quite well. I have my material needs, my physical needs, my bodily needs. And yes, those are needs most of the time. And we do talk about these needs quite a bit. We know our need, we say. But the Catechism says nothing is further from the truth. The real need goes much deeper. When we, by faith, gauge our need to the depths, we come upon our spiritual need. We must know ourselves as sinners completely at the mercy of our God. Of ourselves, we have no rights. We have no right to stand before God, for he is holy. We are sinners. When we think of our need... We think of our own areas of unbelief. Beloved, it's the knowledge of ourselves that will set the proper tone of humility which belongs to a prayer pleasing to God. And it's what you also find when you page through the scriptures. We find very often the right tone of humility 
Abraham pleaded that God would spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in doing so, he didn't really set himself up as towering over those immoral and godless cities. Instead, he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? Genesis eighteen twenty-seven and following. Or consider the humility of Daniel in exile. Daniel knows he's got nothing in himself to appeal to when he talks with God. So he sought his God, regularly we know, in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes, which was the sign of immense humility at that time. It's not really something we do today so much. But his external display of utter humility did indeed reflect an inner humility. He prayed, Daniel 9, he prayed to God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. He carries on. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day. It's as if he didn't really need, uh, know when to stop confessing his need and misery and that of the people. We've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. This is a thoroughgoing knowledge. Of our need and misery. And it's something for us to consider. Our prayers can be so readily filled up with our list of requests for the filling up of material, physical needs when we pay so little attention to our deepest need. <clears throat> that might be because it's quite painful to be honest with ourselves. But the scriptures say it's necessary. No, even more, it's pleasing to God. Along with Daniel and Abraham and the psalmist who said, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand along with these and a whole host of other saints, we are to confess before the Lord that we are guilty and polluted. It's part and parcel of a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him. You might not always say it in so many words, but that disposition, that attitude has to be there. It impresses upon us all the more brilliantly who we are and our need to change before God. For when it comes to prayer, and there's often confusion around this, the fact of the matter is God ultimately didn't give prayer to the church for his own benefit. God has invited us into his holy of holies. <clears throat> we have access to his very throne. Prayer doesn't change him. It changes us profoundly. It shows us our need for grace and forgiveness in Christ. And it then makes so very real for us 
that when we ask him to fill up our spiritual need, he does so. He forgives for Jesus' sake. So when you come to God in prayer, God wants you to come as you really are. Hiding nothing, acknowledging everything to Him. Abandon self-importance, self-reliance. Come simply with humility. As James writes for the instruction of the church, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Yes, brothers and sisters, the irony, the catch is that the more humbly we come, the more confident we may be that our God truly hears us. That's our final point where we see the confidence that is to be essential to a prayer heard by God and pleasing Him. We must, we confess, rest on this firm foundation that although we don't deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as He has promised us in His Word. So that humility of the second point is still there in the third, although we don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn God's attention, His favor. Yet at the same time, we can take God at His word. As long as we, in humility, want to talk to God more than we want to hear from ourselves, God will listen. We may not pray and all the while secretly think, God's not going to hear anyway. He's not going to give attention to my cry when there are millions of people out there praying to him with bigger hurts, better confessions of guilt, and more mature hearts than mine. No, my brother, my sister, God will certainly hear your prayer offered in faith for the sake of Christ. Christ is your advocate, and he's paved a way for you to speak with your God. He gave his blood for the church so you can freely and fully approach the Father in prayer. Pray to the Lord with a heartfelt fervor, with a humble spirit, and a confidence in Christ's mercy. He will hear your prayer. He does listen when we obey him and put our confidence in him for he knows what we need before we ask of him our Lord said that in Matthew 6 verse 8 and he was there simply echoing the thoughts of David in Psalm 139 O Lord you have searched me and known me you understand my thought afar off you comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows our prayer before we utter it. He doesn't learn anything new. He knows what we need better than we do. But he wants to hear from us, and he wants us to be confident that he does hear us.
He's our Father, after all, for the sake of Christ our Lord. (coughs) Christ sacrificed his life for us, also for our prayers. And since God was pleased with the sacrifice of his Son, (coughs) and showed that by raising him from the dead, So God takes pleasure in the prayers of the righteous, those redeemed by the blood of Christ. God loves his son and those for whom his son died. So when Christ, our advocate, brings our prayers of faith to the Father, the Father will never, ever turn him away. So in Christ, the way is open. We have to believe that. Christ himself said it very forcefully. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, you and I can attach all sorts of doubt and skepticism and, yeah, right to this passage. But that's to go exactly against what the Lord is saying. It's not what he wants. He wants you and me, in a childlike way, to know that the impossible has been made possible for us by prayer, if we but believe. We read somewhere in the Gospels that Christ could not perform many miracles there because of their unbelief. That's exactly the way it is. We receive precisely as much as we believe. We receive in proportion to our faith. So believe that when you have asked that you have received it. And it will be yours. And so we never give up on prayer. Charles Spurgeon once said he prayed like a Calvinist, like it was all up to him, to God rather. He preached like an Arminian, like it was all up to him. Well, perhaps we often pray, too often pray like an Arminian. That is, we pray very little, since it's all up to us. So what do we do? We call out from the depths of our being to the God we've come to know and love from Scripture. We humbly confess our dire need for forgiveness. And then we assault the throne of grace with biblical requests, believing Almighty God hears us. Not because we are so pleasing and so righteous in ourselves, but it's because of our advocate presenting our prayer as a fragrant offering of incense to our God. And however God responds, we rejoice. For he has been pleased to answer the God-pleasing prayer. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen.